This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. So there's absolutely no reason why people shouldn't work or be idle, especially Christians. I mean, we live in a, in a, in a culture, and I, I'm from New York City, and, and a lot of people are dependent on public assistance. We're talking about fifth, sixth generations. That's what they were taught. Sense of entitlement, do nothing. And there were Christians in the city when I was ministering in, in, in the city. And I told them the truth. That's what people can't work. You're able-bodied. They said, but I can't see. What, you're blind? No, I just can't see myself working. Get a job. Having a strong work ethic is a good thing. Today, you learn from Pastor Eddie's message that God created us to have fruitful work that gives Him honor and glory. Unfortunately, sometimes we can see the exact opposite happening within our societies. But Pastor Eddie encourages you that it's important to do everything unto the Lord. Any work that God has given you to do within this season, let it glorify Him and His name. Work unto the Lord. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 as he continues his message, an exhortation to proper living and a benediction. confidence in who? In the Lord. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you both to do and will and will do the things we command you. Paul's confidence was in the Lord. And he was confident in the Lord that the Lord will, will be a help, will be their strength for the Thessalonians to do and continue to do what Paul has taught them in the word of God. Understand, New Testament wasn't canonized at this point. Paul used the Old Testament. Can you imagine? I, I would find it hard <laughs> to share the gospel with just the Old Testament. But that's how the birth of the church started, by the way. That's how Paul, and that's how even Peter, who gave the greatest sermon there in the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 gave their lives to the Lord. But he's talking about the command, the things that he commanded him. You see, when Satan took away all that Job had, you know, after, he, you know, disaster after disaster, his family, his home, his property took everything away except his wife, except his wife, boils. That's why he's going to curse God. Job chapter 13, verse 15, Job says this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That is having confidence in the Lord, standing fast in the midst of trials and tribulations, and you know, our confidence needs to be in the Lord, not in self. This, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me. We all need to remember this. Our confidence needs to be in the Lord, not self. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, uh, verse three Paul writes, Rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Why? Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. That's, speaking of Christian, Paul's a Christian at this time. He's writing the book of Romans, right? If we think that we don't have this, then we need to check 
We need to put things in priority. We need to put things in perspective. We're still not perfect, yet we're being renewed day by day because of Jesus Christ. Our confidence needs to be in the Lord, not in self. And so saints, we need to remember this, that when you accepted Jesus Christ, understand this, the moment you accept Jesus Christ, Christ enters into your heart. And that moment, the Holy Spirit begins to work. Now, we've studied this before with Thessalonians. Positionally, we're complete. Positionally, we're sanctified. Positionally, we're ready. It's already done. You're pure. Positionally, in Christ, because of who we are in Christ. Positionally, we're complete. We lack nothing because we have everything, Jesus Christ. But practically, we need to work it out. We're still being sanctified. Practically, we're still being completed unto the day of Christ. That's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Is it being confident of this very thing that he, speaking of Jesus Christ, who has begun a good work in you? When did he begin that? When you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, person, and Savior, when you were born again. He says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. What does that mean? That means when you stand before Jesus, when it's done. And that's going back when I was praying. I was asking you, when you pray for me, if I'm dying, when I want to see Jesus, I want to hear, well done, that I'm completed. I don't want to see people praying for me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well done. When is going to be completed? When you stand before Christ in glory with your glorified bodies, that's when it's done. He is faithful. Verse 5, he says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Oh, how we need God to direct our hearts in love. One of the greatest commandments is love. Love. They ask Jesus, Jesus, of all the 613 commandments, which is the greatest? Oh, it's very simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Greatest commandment. He said, upon these two laws, these commandments, hang all the laws of the prophets. Because if I love God, I would not break the other commandments. If I love my neighbor, I don't have to worry about stealing from him, wanting to murder him, right? Love. And we need God to direct our hearts and continue to direct our hearts. Why? Jeremiah 17, 9. Here's another one. This is not motivational speaking, okay? This is scripture, okay? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitfully above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, we need God to direct our hearts in love. In love. In love. You see... We all call to love just as, as Jesus loved us. Jesus said, hey, love others in your own, your own way. And it's a command, by the way. It wasn't a suggestion. That's what he said in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as, as I have loved you that you also love one another. How much has Jesus loved you? Death on the cross. That's the love. That's a true disciple of Christ. And so when the Lord directs a heart in his love, God's love is, it, it is manifest by the power of the Spirit because only the Spirit of God, only who, the source of love, can make love real in your life where you could just pour it out to others. Question. How much does God love you? You know the answer. So too we ought to love one another. And as we love, patience kicks in. Because we love, we're patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Love keeps no record. How much patience God has for you? Unlimited. And let me tell you, God was really patient with me. Especially in my teen and pre-20 years. Very patient. That's verses 1 through 5. Paul calls us to prayer. These are the things we need to pray now. Now verses 6 through 15, Paul gives an exhortation on proper Christian living. Now, just again to give you a little bit of background of this church, um, just as with every church, the church of Thessalonians had problems. They were thriving. They were, they were growing. But there was problems. With every church, there's problems in every church. And we always say, if you find the perfect church, don't be a part of it. Because it will not be perfect. And the reason why churches are not perfect is because why? People. People. Where you have people, you have problems. Anyway, verse 6, he gives a warning. He said, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is a command, not a suggestion, it's with authority Paul is speaking of, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he receives from us. The Greek word withdraw, stelo, means to avoid, to shun, to pull back from. When we see someone in Acting disorderly, it could, and Paul's going to give one of those examples where to withdraw. This is what's called church discipline. This is not only for the pastor and leader, and this is for every believer to follow and obey. If a brother or sister in Christ is disorderly, as for the scriptures, it says we are to withdraw. That's what it says here, right? I, I'm not trying to, you know, I know people are quick to judge. Oh, really? Let me find somebody who I could withdraw from. Hey, why didn't you come to our fellowship? I'm withdrawing from you. <laughs> That's not a license to find every little excuse. You didn't invite me to your... No, forget it. I'm not... I'm with you. Anyway, there were those in the Thessalonian church that were disorderly. They were not following, obeying the word of God and how to behave. And Paul set the example. And they were disorderly because they had left their jobs. They were mooching off of people. Remember, they thought that Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ was imminent. So they, you know, they sold everything. If you look throughout church history, you find there are certain groups of Christians that have sold everything. Oh, Jesus is coming. Here's the date. And the Bible says, no, you know, every time somebody gives me a date, I'm to say, I'll see you tomorrow. When, is he, when do you say he's coming? Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Two things could happen. Either they would be rebuked and going against the scripture, the Bible says, no one knows the day or the hour, right? I would be in heaven. I say, hey, you're right. You picked it. You should play lotto. Not just kidding, don't play lotto. <laughs> but you know, the Bible says, no man knows the day nor the hour. Now, whether we like it or not, discipline is good and it's healthy. I get some amens from your, past, your parents. Amen. We've seen that. It's good whether you're working out. Obviously, I don't work out. But if you work out, you discipline yourself. You're into sports, you discipline yourself. You find every area of life that you discipline yourself and know that you would grow. And so disciplining, as parents, we discipline our children so they would, they would know the wrong from right. What this proverb says, it says, spare the rod, spoil the child. We're not talking about child abuse. We're talking about being disciplined. Sometimes kids, the younger they are, they need a little spanking. As they get older, now they know. And I tell you, kids who are not disciplined, I've seen it in the streets. 12, 13-year-olds with guns. When I worked as a police officer, 12, 13-year-olds with guns. One that stuck out the most, that always sticks out to me. Kid, I, I think he was like 
14 or 15. And every time I see them in a juvenile room, I always try to find an opportunity to minister to them. They're not my responsibility. It wasn't my call or job, but I usually see someone that young. I figure I could share something. And he didn't want to talk to me at all. I was just sharing, talk, trying to talk to him. But anyway, the officer that had to pick him up, I said, what's the story with this kid? Oh, he beat up his grandfather or grandmother, I don't recall. I said, what? That's nothing. He was here two months ago. He beat up his mother. Why? He wasn't disciplined. They spared the rock. And sometimes parents are the worst when it comes to disciplining their children. But it's healthy. If you love someone, you, you bring discipline. And this is what this is all about, church discipline. God, even God disciplines us. Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verse 12, it says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Hebrews 12, 11, it says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful. We know that. For the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, here it is, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And in the same way, church discipline, if you really, really, really love your brother in Christ and they are disorderly at this point, in this case, it's them not working. You share with love, we share with love. If they don't follow those instructions, then you are to withdraw. Withdraw from them. And this is good instruction from, from the scriptures to withdraw from them because they are disorderly and, and by letting them know that their conduct is unacceptable, is not biblical, you know, it'll have them think and it'll have them repent. And hopefully they, as we withdraw from them, they will begin to feel the consequences of their actions. And at that point, they could either prove to be repentive or they will continue on. It's up to the Lord. Jesus, in similar fashion, in similar fashion, Jesus gave us this. About, he speaks about the offending brother in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. You probably know this. He said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him. That's the first step. Don't start gossiping between you and that brother. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. Okay, you reconcile. That's fine. But that's not always the case. Jesus said, but if he will not hear... Take with you one or two more, two witnesses, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. People like to use that to name it and claim it, you know, blab it and grab it, shake it and bake it. They want everything. No, that's not what it is. It has to deal with this. Verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, even the, the three or two, tell it to the church. That's the third step. But here's the fourth step. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. You know, we need to encourage one another. We need to be, obey the word, and that's you and I. If we're not following this, what we're saying is, I agree with your behavior. You, we're being obedient. Disobedient to the word of God tells us to bring correction and at the same time withdraw from them so that they will learn the, conduct, the consequence of the action. But we're being disobedient to the word, number one. Number two... You're saying you agree with them. It's okay. And you're pretty much an enabler. And that's, you know, when people talk about pastors or leaders, that's something I was taught before I became a pastor. If anybody brings the accusation against a pastor, you know, you need witnesses. That's serious stuff. But parents, they enable their words. Anyway, 
Paul, he talked the talk and he walked the walk. Look at, let's look at verses 7 and 8. It says, For you yourself know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. But we worked, we labored, we toiled, we set the example. We were ministers, we were apostles. That, was, that wasn't beneath, Paul didn't think anything was beneath him, just like me. Sometimes people catch me cleaning here and say, no, you pastor, you have somebody else do that? There's nothing beneath me. It needs to be done. I'll do it. It's no big deal. And he says, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but work with labor and toil not a day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Verse 9, he says, not because we do not have authority, meaning, hey, we could have said, hey, we're apostles. You're a church. Go get us something to eat. They didn't do that. Paul didn't want to be a financial burden to them. And I think this is where a lot of the TBN, TV, preachers, prosperity, false prophets need to read this passage. Instead of saying, hey, I need another jet. Yeah, go work like Paul did. Verse 10, he says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. You don't work, you don't eat. When you feed them and you keep feeding them, they're not working, you're an enabler. (laughs) You're telling what they're doing is right. Don't worry, I got you. No. But the Bible says to feed them. But the Bible says also to withdraw from them and correct them. But what you do is you're enabling. And that's why I see some parents where some of their kids are on drugs or whatever, and they keep helping them. Oh, but that's my son. Oh, that's my daughter. I got to help them. You know, they're going to be on the street. Oh, my son, my daughter. Yeah, love is tough. You keep enabling them. Don't do it. You need to work. In order to eat, that happened in the garden. Remember Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. The Lord said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herbs of the field in the sweat of your face. That's work. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. From out of it you were taken. From dust you are, and dust you shall return. This started from the very beginning. Proverbs 16, 26, it says, It is good for workers to have an appetite. An empty stomach drives them on. And so there's absolutely no reason why people shouldn't work or be idle, especially Christians. I mean, we live in a, in a, in a culture, and I, I'm from New York City, and, and a lot of people are dependent on public assistance. We're talking about fifth, sixth generations. That's what they were taught. Sense of entitlement. Do nothing. And there were Christians in the city when I was ministering in the city. And I told them the truth. That's what people can't work. You're able-bodied. They said, but I can't see. What, you're blind? No, I just can't see myself working. <laughs> Get a job. I understand if you're disabled. And let me tell you, when I go to places like Walmart, and I see disabled people in a wheelchair, that blesses me. There's no reason. Paul takes it further. First Timothy verse, First Timothy chapter five verse eight. He says, "But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." <clears throat> Moving on, verses eleven and twelve. But we hear that there are some of you who walk, who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Idleness breeds sin. That's what it does. They were busy being busybodies. They weren't minding their own business. They were walking around because they, weren't, they didn't have a job. They were going from home to home. It's just causing problems. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Paul says this, that you also inspired to lead a quiet, a quiet life, to mind your own business. You see that phrase, but it's ancient. 
to work with your own hands as we command you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. And verse 13 says, but as for you, he's speaking to those who are working, Christians who are you know, setting the example, but for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Continue, work. Jesus said, blessed is he when the, when the Son of Man comes, he finds doing. Doing. That's in ministry. But that's also in everything else. Verse 14, Paul points this, he gives this warning again so we can know, oh, wait a minute, that's, oh, that's, that was written 2,000 years ago. No, we, you know, we love everybody. Kumbaya. That's just, oh, no. Just, it's being disobedient. Here's what the word says. This, you don't, don't judge me. This is what the word says. Why we read it, verse by verse. Verse 14, say, if any man, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person. And do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. That's the only way he's going to grow. But verse 15, you do not count them, yet do not count them as an enemy. That's important. But admonish him as a brother. Encourage him. You know, I love what John Corson said. I love, he, in his commentary, he writes this. He said, the only people who have the right to point out the dirt on another's feet are those who have a towel around their waist and a basin of water in their hands and are willing to wash them. You want to point out sin? It's easy to point out sin because it really looks bad when somebody else does it, but when we do it, it doesn't look bad. But if you want to point out sin, hey, be really willing to, you know, not expose them. Don't, go in the, don't, don't shout, hey, listen, you know, Steve Stoner is taking all the food. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, it was your turn. You know, don't blow them out. Say, listen, brother, it's between you and me because I love you. And, and, and just work with them. And they say, you know what? Yeah, I'm struggling with this. So you, hey, I'm here for you. Let's, let's pray. Hopefully that's how it ends up. But you know, the Bible warns us because we're quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he falls. Verse 16 and 18, Paul gives his greetings now. He closes the letter. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace Always, in every way, the Lord be with you all. Now, verse 17 is important. The salutation of Paul with my own hands. He's writing this, which is a sign of every epistle. So I write. Remember, the reason why Paul wrote 1st, 2nd Thessalonians is because there was rumors. Actually, 2nd Thessalonians, there was rumors that he wrote that Jesus Christ already came and that they were going through the rapture. He said, as is of a letter was written by us, it was a forged letter. So he closes his letter to say, so I write, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, and God's people say, amen. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of 1 Timothy with us here on Running the Race. There's so much more to learn from this New Testament letter, but our time has come to an end for today. Before we go, we'd like to invite you to visit our website to hear more messages from Pastor Eddie. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com. There, you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be a part of our weekly worship service? We gather each Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. Find more information at runningtheraceradio.com. 
If you're in a place of blessing due to this radio ministry and you'd like to know how you can partner with us, we'd gladly accept your support. Here's Jessica to tell you more. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We hope you'll join us again next time, right here on Running the Race.